Dan, as we start another episode of the OHL podcast, I would like to present to you what I believe to be three universal truths in the OHL. Are you ready for these? Sure. Okay. Number one, the commissioner is always wrong. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And he will be booed and booed heartily every time he tries to hand out a trophy or makes a decision at the league office. Number two, the Ontario Hockey League, despite attempt after attempt after attempt is never going to work in the greater Toronto area. And number three on your list of Ontario hockey league universal truths is that no matter how the season starts or what you expect the season to look like, eventually the London Knights will find their way into first place. How am I doing on the universal truths? Well, I'd say pretty good. Um, Gary Batman probably has an effect on the OHL commissioner as well. So the booing is going to happen. I don't know London always ends up first, but they always end up in contention. They're always uh, – well, I'll give you top four. How's that? Okay. Yeah. All right. Oh, I thought you were going to add another universal truth. Yes, but London, top four, opening on home ice when the playoffs roll around, et cetera, et cetera. That guy over there is Dan Mahar. You'll find him on Twitter at his name, Dan Mahar. I'm Mike Farwell at Farwell underscore OHL. And don't hesitate to send us an email, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. Lots of emails to get to on this episode, but we cannot start anywhere other than the Western Conference, Dan, and the battle for first place that was this past weekend between the Kitchener Rangers and the London Knights. I'm sorry to the other 18 markets in the league. We know you love your teams, and we'll touch on a number of them in the 45 minutes or so ahead, but... All eyes were on the Midwest division this past weekend for what I called going into the weekend, a showcase for the league. Unfortunately, it was more of a gong show than a showcase in my humble opinion. Yeah, I I might use the phrase anticlimactic in terms of a battle for for first in the sense that it really ended on a down note for from a competitive standpoint. Obviously, the London Knights played really well sent a message across those two games to claim first place. But I think probably for the first 30 minutes of the Friday night game, we saw what we expected. A hard-fought battle, good hockey both ways, close. Um, surprisingly, it was actually with the Kitchener Rangers ahead 2 nothing. Them on a power play that turned the tides on that two-game set. Kitchener just went into a completely lazy mode, casual mode, got complacent, uh, gave up some some chances gave up a goal shorthanded just kind of let the wheels fall off when in a at a time when they had a, a chance to put the game away and from that point on they never recovered they they lo- dropped the remainder of that game lost their composure a bit in the third uh and then on saturday the saturday game in london so it's much much more of the same kitchener did not show up to play whatsoever uh london kind of had their way with them pushed them around a bit uh embarrassed them a little so uh, yeah, it was a bit of a, a funny two-game set, but needless to say, London certainly claimed the victory decisively. On the point of what may have turned the tide in game one of the back-to-back on the Friday night in Kitchener and that shorthanded goal, you know, the London Knights, we should point out, have now won 14 consecutive games. They're a little more than halfway towards the CHL record of 25 consecutive wins. But the way that they go about doing it, that shorthanded goal was their 18th shorthanded goal of the season, which is head and shoulders above all other teams. Not to mention on the other side of the special teams ledger, their power play is running up around 34, 35%, which is a remarkable number. There was a time in this league not long ago where if you were running 20 to 25%, you were doing really well. And anything above 25 was getting you into elite status. I would submit to you that this has changed a little bit and 30% now is, is where you're running when you're doing really well. 35 obviously gets you to that elite status. But my point in all of this is I, I think it's actually a credit to the London Knights in the way they have found an area of the game that they can exploit. If you've got a power play and you work on your power play to be as effective as 35% efficiency, you're going to be successful an awful lot. And on the other side, your point about sort of that lackadaisical approach to the power play for the Kitchener Rangers, when they surrendered the shorthanded goal, I think this is something that London has identified league-wide where you see teams, they, you know, 
you hear it all the time. Penalty killing is where it's almost more fun because you're working harder out there. The idea as a penalty killer is to make the power play team work harder. And sometimes if you're a little bit more passive in your penalty kill, those power play units get the chance to freestyle a little bit. And that's what helps them produce. The London Knights are not going to let you be lackadaisical for even a second. And there were numerous power plays for the Kitchener Rangers that I can look back on over the past weekend and see that you would never have known that London was shorthanded. That's how aggressive they are. And I think they've really found something that they can exploit in the league right now. Yeah. And, and you know, on, on the flip side of that coin, I think you know what London's doing. London is almost never out of position. And they're coming for you. They're going to get a PC every time. They're going to hunt the puck on the power play, on the penalty kill, or even strength. You know what they're doing. So what I was looking for in this two-game set from both teams was both teams trying to prove they belong where they are. Hard-fought battle. And I always say, you know, you forgive mistakes. You don't forgive a lack of effort. And I really felt from the midpoint of the game, the first game, that Kitchener's effort really sagged. And it was almost unforgivably low in game two. Um, you, you referenced the power play and how it kind of hurt Kitchener more than it helped them. I, I think it's fair to note that with Philip Bashar getting hurt early in game one, that didn't help. He kind of, the power play somewhat goes through him. They seemed in disarray after that, some personnel changes and we're trying to figure it out. But at no point was there an adjustment to what London was trying to do or even a recognition of what they were going to do, which shouldn't have been a surprise, Mike. We see, we've seen it from London for years now and they've seen it this year. It, we know what's coming. You just can't get casual. You can't get lazy. You can't be surprised by what's coming for you. And I felt like Kitchener looked that way consistently from the midpoint of game one on. And it's kind of disappointing for a first place team. Um, but I'm I'm assuming that that's going to be a wake up call because you see what happens when you slack off against a team like that. Well, this was the battle for first place. I think it was billed the way that it was for good reason. A couple of, again, no disrespect to the other 18 franchises, but a couple of the premier franchises in the Ontario Hockey League, right back where fans remember them from 20 or so years ago when Corey Perry and Mike Richards were on the teams respectively. And and here we are again, coming into a weekend with first place on the line. Unfortunately, as much time as we've spent talking about some of the play in those games already on this episode of the OHL podcast, we can't spend a whole lot more time because what happened on Saturday in the rematch at Budweiser Gardens was, again, as I said, an absolute gong show. And and frankly, not just an embarrassment for a team that loses 10 to 3 and, as you pointed out, got pushed around a little bit. But I would call this an embarrassment for the league, Dan. More than 100 minutes in penalties, six, count them, six fights in one game now these weren't all heavyweight tilts toe-to-toe punches being thrown but still six fights i mean we know how the ontario hockey league feels about fighting we all know the rules around fighting how discouraged it is you can go an entire season watching your favorite team and not see six fights the entire season we had six in one game and at one point in the third period of that game on saturday afternoon at budweiser gardens it took 15 minutes of real time to play one minute of hockey. It was an embarrassment. And the suspensions issued to Jackson Edwards, uh, two games for the London Knights defenseman for taking a pretty clear shot at the head of Luca Romano, the rookie for the Kitchener Rangers. And then Matt Andonofsky, the defenseman for the Kitchener Rangers, taking a pretty good shot cross-check wise at the face of Jacob Julian. Andonofsky gets three games by way of suspension, but uh, dare I say that's the minimal fallout from, again, what was really a bad look for the league and kind of embarrassing. Yeah, I mean, watching that game, I mean, people talk about the referees losing control and whatnot. I I mean, I look at that. I'm not sure what else the referees could have done other than start kicking players out earlier. But I would, in games like that, I would love to see, you know, when there's less than 10 minutes to go, if it's just a complete gong show, the ref has the ability to just call the game. And I know fans have paid to see 60 minutes, et cetera, et cetera. But at that point, they've been there for three and a half hours. No one's seeing any hockey at that point anyway. It's out of control. And, and you know, I look at everything that happened. You talk about the Andonofsky suspension. I think that's that is a good display of what happened with Kitchener. They 
they didn't like how they were playing. They were getting exposed. They were getting embarrassed and they lost their composure and started doing some frankly dumb things. I think Matthew Andonofsky is the first person that would tell you that was dumb. He made a great hit on Jacob Julian and then proceeded it with two cross checks up high on Julian. You just can't do that. Uh, you had the suspension of Jackson Edward. No one likes to see, uh, you know, an older player like that coming across trying to obliterate a younger player, but if it's clean, it's clean, but it wasn't the hands came up to the head. That's where those injuries happen. So very well-deserved suspensions. I thought there could have been a couple more. Um, Matthew Sopp and Kitchener got a borderline hit uh, from behind in the corner. Uh, could have could have had more than the the minor he served in the game. Uh, we saw a couple hits from the London side with the McHugh hit on Mishara. I thought was a bit predatory, a pie in the head. There was just a lot of stuff that kind of crossed the boundaries of hockey there. And I don't like to see any of it. I don't like any of that type of play. That's certainly not the type of team uh, Kitchener is for sure. So they're not going to win in those trenches. Um, but I come back to the the hockey point originally is that if they had chosen to play hockey better earlier in that game, it might not have come to that. So instead of getting embarrassed because the effort wasn't there and then resorting to losing your composure late, just play better hockey earlier. Cause I think that matchup warranted it. And I think some of the fans were let down with uh, how poorly they played, quite frankly. Uh, that's an interesting take, and we're going to come back to the officiating in just a moment, courtesy of our email inbox, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. I wonder, and again, I'll go back to what I said earlier and use the word exploit when it comes to the London Knights and their ability to exploit other teams' power plays. When just at this level, maybe you are a little bit more lackadaisical. You don't play with the same urgency as you might at another higher level of hockey when you turn pro, for example. And and the London Knights, to their credit, find a way to really pressure power play units and, and are successful on the penalty kill. I, I wonder also, after watching what I watched over the last 48 hours in the Ontario Hockey League between Kitchener and, and London, and, and you mentioned what you thought might have been a predatory hit on Philip Machar, who left the game early on the Friday night, did not play Saturday, I would submit to you at this point, his status is questionable for the upcoming weekend for the Kitchener Rangers. Uh, Trent Swick left the game on Saturday with an injury and did not return to the game. I don't know what his status is for the games ahead for the Kitchener Rangers, but that's a 20 goal scorer in Swick and a first round NHL draft pick in Philip Machar, who are lost to the Kitchener Rangers for some length of time, even if it's just the game's and a half maybe they already missed. So I, I wonder if, and and interestingly enough, those are the injuries. They are they were all on one side of, of the ledger following this weekend. I, I couldn't help but wonder, Dan, if this is also not something that is tactical on the part of the London Knights. Look, they've got a nice team. We know that. Denver Barkey is a skilled player. Easton Cowan is a real nice player. Oliver Bonk is a real nice player. But if you were to put these teams down on paper and match them up, skill set versus skill set, is the skill set going to favor, perhaps, is that ledger going to favor the Kitchener Rangers with your Rakoffs and your Mashars and your Chalets and your 20-goal Swicks and Matt Sopp and Hunter Brustevich and so on? And, and perhaps when the London Knights enter a game like that, and I'll take you back a couple of months when they were up in Sault Ste. Marie, the London Knights were, and there was a game that Greyhounds head coach, John Dean was quoted as saying, they came in here and tried to drag the game into the gutter. And, and maybe again, it's, it's tactical when you're up against a team that's got more skill than you, you recognize that the best way for you to have success is to play them tough to play them hard to play them on that line maybe over that line and essentially create an environment where they can't play the kind of game they want to play and the one thing i i frankly liked the least i i always try not to use the word hate but oof, did i really dislike during the game on saturday of those six fights i can recall three clearly where a player from the London Knights following the fight pointed right up and down that Ranger bench as if to say, like, I'm taking on all comers because none of you can match what I just did. But what they just did was not a hockey play. So I just wonder if strategically this might be the way that the London Knights recognize that if we're going to be successful, this is the way we're going to have to be successful. They've won 14 in a row. They're obviously a very formidable opponent. 
but they're sure as hell not going to beat you in a track meet. No, and I, I think you're right. It's absolutely tactical. I mean, Dale Hunter just never gets caught without a lot of sandpaper and grit on his team. And sometimes that grit, I, like I hate the after the whistle stuff. I hate the fact that every time they're going to and from the bench, they bump into someone, get a piece of them, little hacks and slash that intimidation game. But he's never caught without it. And sometimes they cross the line here and there. But I think that's tactical because there is an intimidation factor. And I think we saw it. And and if there's a criticism of the way Kitchener's roster is built and has been built last couple of years, it's there's not a lot of that. And so when you're coming up against that, you're either hoping the officials call a lot of it or you're going to have to have some of that in your lineup to combat it. The only other option is you play top speed at a speed they can't match. And the problem is if the London Knights match it skill-wise, which they clearly were doing, then what's your recourse? So you absolutely, when the other team has significantly more grit, toughness, intimidation, dirtiness, you call it what you want. If they have a lot more of it than you do, you're already behind the eight ball if you can't outskill them by a large margin. So being caught without your best effort is just deadly in a game like that. And I would say, suffice it to say, Kitchener was caught way below their best effort. And then, of course, they were intimidated. They didn't really have an answer to much of that game because they're not going to. That lineup, like you said, when guys are pointing up and down the bench, I, I hate those antics. And it's not just a, a London thing. I hate those antics from anyone. Um, but it says it sends a message. It says, no one on your team is scared. Anyone on this team, we, we own you in the physical department. And that's one of the key departments in a hockey game. So if you allow a team to own you in that department, you really better bring it in the other departments. And Kitchener did not this weekend. I'm not sure there's another team in the league right now, Dan, that matches that kind of play from what we saw from the London Knights this past weekend. I don't know. I, if, if there is, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm not sure that they, there is. And, and I think the London Knights have put themselves in a very good position to not only continue this run of 14 in a row, let's see how long the streak lasts, but also to position themselves as the team to go through if you want to get to Saginaw in May. Yeah, I would agree. There's no team I've seen that plays anywhere near that style. I mean, Sudbury likes to bang around a bit and 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 intimidate. And and I have no problem with teams making you pay physical price. That's that's part of the game. They'll wear you down. Uh, I, I'm not a big fan of the, the shots that are intended to maybe put skilled players out of the game. And we've seen a few of those. I, I think those are the ones where I have an issue. But at the end of the day, we just don't see games where one team gets a lopsided number of penalties or suspensions. So knowing that it's going to be balanced out to some degree, it just makes sense for a team like that to play that way. Cause you know, it's probably going to benefit you. And I would agree with you. I haven't seen a team that's going to match London in that category. And I think we saw this weekend that Kitchener is nowhere near matching them in that category. So it's, it's going to be a, a trying time coming to playoffs unless they find, find a re- recipe to combat it. You nailed it right there. When you talked about, the ledger being balanced usually by the end of a game in terms of penalties, et cetera. And so I'll just go back to that word exploit. You see that in this league, you're able to create this environment where you can play like that with essentially impunity. Hey, if the ultimate goal here is winning, then you have found a way to be successful in this league. Does that change again? Because I don't see other teams playing this way necessarily and i'm not sure the league is all that interested in having 19 other teams that play this way and having i mean it's it wasn't even slap shot-esque on on saturday afternoon it, it was just it, like i did not talk to a single person leaving that building and there were more than nine thousand fans in there who said they enjoyed that or they thought it any way in any way resembled hockey it's not what the league wants but I guess until you close the loophole, if that's what's been exploited here, that's what you're going to get. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't a good hockey game, no matter how you slice it. And I know some people on the London side might say, oh, it was great. We had a bunch, bunch of fights we won. We had a hockey game we won by a lot of... It wasn't an entertaining hockey game. I mean, you had a, a fairly poorly played hockey game, certainly from one side anyway, and then just descended into a bunch of emotion, hurt feelings, and and crossing the line into something that was not hockey. So, and, and at the end of the day too, I think, you know, fans pay to see the skilled players play. So you want to see them at their best, obviously, but y'all, you first and foremost, you want to see them play. So you don't want to see players leaving the game injured, which we saw a couple of times this weekend. Uh, and 
that type of war of attrition has never uh, appealed to many fans. I don't think uh, I know the NHL playoffs are known for being gritty in a war of attrition, but I think uh, call me crazy. I want to see the team win that has the best roster on paper, not the team that had the most guys left standing at the end of the, of the, of the game or at the end of the series. So yeah, it was not an entertaining game and I don't think that benefited the league much in any way. I'll just go back to the aforementioned game in Sault Ste. Marie where head coach John Dean uh, accused London of trying to drag the game into the gutter. Bryce McConnell Barker, the captain in the Sioux, was hurt in that game, missed several. Out of this weekend's first place matchup, Philip Mashar and Trent Swick are the ones on the outside looking in after suffering injuries. And I'm just putting that out there for you to decide how you feel about it. Let's go to the email inbox uh, right away here. OHL podcast at rogers.com. Jim sends this longtime listener. First time emailing. Thank you, Jim. Somebody else be like Jim. Send us an email anytime. Uh, the Niagara ice dogs are an embarrassment to the OHL slash CHL. If Dave branch wants to leave a legacy, he should be taking over this franchise. The owner doesn't have a clue. He just thinks he can throw money around and it will solve all his problems. I can't believe that Bruce Boudreau, would have his name associated with this team. Yeah, I know his son is involved with the Ice Dogs. That would be the, uh, I guess, is he still the interim head coach? I think he's the head coach now in Boudreaux's son. Darren Dobler, the owner, could not run the Junior C Simcoe team. Why would the league ever let him buy an OHL team? I will just add to that, Dan, because money talks in this league and so many others. Yeah, I, I think, well, Bruce Boudreaux, headed overseas to coach the Spangler Cup team. So I think you can draw a few conclusions from that. Either he'd seen enough and didn't want to be around, or his role is quite limited, I think. He's, you know, advisor to his son who's there. But, you know, for those that aren't watching the Niagara Ice Dogs, I always still want to give them a little a little bit of credit for what's happening on the ice. I do think there's a little bit more structure coming into their game now that that Ben Boudreaux had had the reins for a little while. And I, I I know there's certainly no lack of work ethic there from the, from the games I've watched. So I want to separate the on ice product from the off ice. And I know we'll look and say, yes, I know they're last overall, but they are tied for last overall in the standings. That's fair, but they're within a couple points of two teams that they may pass. Cause those are teams were sellers in the Barry Colts and Peterborough Pete. So this team might be a playoff team. And to do that amidst everything that's happened off ice is pretty miraculous. So I, and I know they've missed the playoffs a lot of years in junior hockey. You should make the playoffs every, every couple of years. Having said that the off ice gong show is unforgivable for sure. Uh, but let's not lose sight of the fact that the team's still playing. They're still playing for Ben Boudreaux. They're still working and they might just sneak into an eight seed there. So uh, I just want to be careful to make that distinction. The reason I brought up Jim's email now is because after blasting the ice dogs, which seems to be, uh, you know, a, a favorite thing to do on this podcast lately. I've pretty much said, I'm not going to say anything because if you can't say anything nice, and it is such a mess there. But uh, Jim goes on to write the Kitchener London game on Saturday at the Bud. I was sitting there in section 106, row R, seat 13. And as soon as I saw referee Jason Faced skate out onto the ice, I knew the game would get out of control. I leaned over to my buddy and said, this game will get chippy. Faced should not be allowed to referee a Timbits game, let alone an OHL game. Kimmerly wasn't much better, but I believe he's fairly new. Why the league didn't have the most veteran officials lined up to do the game is beyond me. That's it for now. Keep up the great podcast, Jim. Jim, again, appreciate the email to ohlpodcast at rogers.com. Dan, you touched on this earlier already so i think i know where you stand but do you want to expand at all on the officiating crew which by the way yes kimberly's newer but faced in company the the lineys uh arcan and i'm forgetting the second one, but it, it it was not the most inexperienced crew i've seen all season for sure yeah you know mike i always you know me i really have a tough time blaming it on the officials i know they're the the whipping boys and women all the time for any time, anytime anything goes off the rails and you do see some poorly officiated games and like that, that's obvious. We see some games where things are not called, things are ignored and it gets completely out of control. I, I have trouble throwing them totally under the bus on that one, Mike, because I, I like to evaluate the calls and there were a whole bunch of them. And I like to say, you know, where did they go wrong here? Like what, 
what could they have called? And, you know, just watching those two games, one live, one on TV, I said there was an awful lot of that stuff I was talking about after the whistle, like the shots on the way to the bench. There's, I think those things absolutely have to be called. The punches in the scrums, take one guy, take a, a few of those things there. So there's a little game management things they could have done. Maybe as it started to get, the score started to get out of control, maybe you throw out some 10-minute misconducts and some things to get guys out of the equation. Um but in terms of how they actually called individual calls, I didn't have a whole lot of issue with with the actual calls. I felt for the most part, they got them right. Um, the two guys who rejected one for each side, I thought those were five minute majors. The ones that weren't, I thought they got right. They were they were two minutes or four minutes. And eh. so I think aside from just over managing it and saying, you know what, I'm sniffing a problem here. Landon Sim, you're in the dressing room. Andonovsky in the dressing room, like doing some of that game management stuff that might be a little bit unjust. I have trouble totally throwing the reps under the bus on that game, Mike. I, I felt like it would have been nice if they had another mechanism to just say either, you know, the next scrum we're calling this game or or if no one wants to go that uh, to that extent, maybe they just warn the benches, say any shoves or punches thrown after any whistle from here on, those guys get games which are possible suspensions. So you can do some of those kind of things. I know the refs don't want to over punish, but I think that's the only recourse they maybe had there. I didn't think they really got any of the individual calls wrong, but. As much as I love bold ideas, Dan, I can't support the idea of calling a game with 10 minutes left, no matter what the score is. If the fans hate it that much, they're welcome to walk out. But I, I appreciate the boldness of the suggestion. I, I love your analysis of what you saw officiating wise, because I'm with you 100%. In fact, I, I said in the course of my broadcast on Saturday afternoon that I thought they did a really fine job. There are times for sure when you see a game like that and you can point to things early that were allowed to kind of boil. And then all of a sudden you've got yourself a pot of boiling water, a cauldron of boiling water, really, and and you've lost control. That was not the case at all. I'm with you. I thought they called, uh, faced Kimberly and company called a really good game. They had their hands full, and I don't think there was an, another thing they could have done about it. Maybe, you're right, if you want to pick some nits and get some other things, like make clear really early on that we're only going to tolerate so much and this and that. But overall, I, I would give them a, a, a passing grade, dare I say, with flying colors for the effort that they put in as officials. The only thing I'll add to it, and I'll just bring it back to what I said about this weekend home and home, which I thought would be, and, and frankly hoped because I love the league, would be a showcase for the OHL. It was anything but, and fans like Jim, that's what they come away with now, right? He paid his money and went to a game in London to watch a battle for first place and came away saying those refs sucked and they don't belong in the league. I think that's the furthest thing from the problem here. But if you're the Ontario Hockey League, what happened in that game? I don't know. I don't know if you can have a team meeting with both of those clubs and say, hey, <laughs> this is not acceptable in this league. But anyway, that's that's the biggest disappointment for me. But the officiating crew, I thought, uh, well done, Messiers Faced and Kimmerly in managing what was a, a really difficult to manage afternoon at Budweiser Gardens. Yeah, honestly, like if I'm looking for someone to blame, Mike, I blame the players who didn't really bring it, who, who had an opportunity on a big stage to bring it there. And I don't like seeing any games dragged into the gutter when you have two good teams like that going at it. I don't care who can beat up who in a fight. I want to see who can play a better hockey game. And I know those other factors come into play and Kitchener just let it come into play way too much. But the first factor for me in that weekend was not the officials, was not the fights. It was that the Kitchener Rangers did not bring their legs. They weren't skating. Lazy, soft stick checks all first half of Saturday got themselves behind the eight ball. So if you're looking to point the finger, and I'm I'm saying this knowing full well that the Kitchen Rangers know this, they're probably sitting at home saying, "Yeah, absolutely, we we were not good," and that's that's what they have to be fixed for the next game. They have to bring a much better effort and show that that was not them that we saw on Saturday. So, uh, to me, that's the extent of it. I'm not I'm not throwing this one on the officials or anyone else. All right, we promised that there are other 18 other teams in the Ontario Hockey League, and we would get to some of them in this episode of the OHL podcast. Uh, I don't know if fans in Brantford placed an order through Amazon Prime because it certainly has arrived early. But don't look now, OHL fans. While we're talking about this battle for first place in the West, the Brantford Bulldogs 
have arrived ahead of schedule, in my opinion. Look, they've been lurking around the top four for several weeks now. They flirted with first place just before we recorded last week's episode. And as we begin this week, the Brantford Bulldogs sit atop the Eastern Conference. Now, it's a narrow margin because the Eastern Conference is ridiculously tight, but 52 points for the Brantford Bulldogs, 51 for the Sudbury Wolves, 50 for the North Bay Battalion, and then those sneaky Oshawa Generals in fourth place with 48 points. But for starters, Dan, how about those Brantford Bulldogs, Nick Lardis and company, lighten it up in the Telephone City? Yeah, the Brantford Bulldogs, they're taking a a page out of the London Knights book, right? I I know we've talked a lot about London Knights, but how many teams do you know have a sell at the trade deadline and get better? Uh, London does it routinely. Credit to the Brantford Bulldogs, the coaching staff, Jay McKee and his staff, and and of course, Matt Turek, the GM, made a couple really savvy moves to rebuild that pick cupboard. Sold in a year when they were in contention. People said, well, you know, they're the top second or third in the conference. Sold off some players, so now they're going to fall... Well, they've actually risen to first since those trades and just some incredible efforts from, from some of the young guys. And I, I know while we're on the Brantford topic, Mike, you have to mention, like, so you, you, you've seen what we're getting out of draft eligibles, like Merrick Van Acker had another big week, but a guy that's just been on my radar all year and probably not getting enough credit is a 16 year old and Jake O'Brien like running at over a point a game, eighth overall pick in the draft, in my opinion, should have gone higher. I, I, thought he was a top three or four pick for sure based on what he did in the OHL cup last year but how many 16 year olds on a team like that it's not really a high scoring team per se but putting up those kind of uh, point totals 30 assists already in 35 games uh, just incredible for a, a 16 year old but when you get that kind of improvement and development up and down the lineup you uh, are you picking anyone over the Brantford Bulldogs Mike as a guarantee Absolutely not. But you know what? I'm not picking anyone as a guarantee in the Eastern Conference. Thank you very much, because it is it, it's not only tight, but I still think wide open because even the teams that added don't intimidate me to the point of a Saginaw spirit or for different reasons that we just talked about the London Knights in the West. Like nobody really scares me. No disrespect to the teams that made some moves, but I think the East is still wide open. Yeah, I find the East really interesting for that reason, Mike. And it's not that, you know, a couple years past, if I'm being frank about it, the conference w- was weaker and there wasn't that much to get excited about. I don't think that's necessarily the case this year. I think there's a lot of good teams, maybe lacking great, definitely lacking terrible. Um, but I think there's a lot of teams that who's going to get hot, who's going to develop the players they got at the trade deadline, the bet, who's going to get the most out of their core, who's going to get hot at the right time with the goaltending. But I look at that te- that conference and up and down it, Mike, there's, I, I don't want to say 10, but there's seven or eight teams that could, uh, I think could beat anyone on any given night. And that makes it really uh, interesting in my mind. Anyway, I look a lot of good core groups there. And I think the playoffs are going to be a lot of fun to watch in the East. You talked about the Brantford Bulldogs getting better after selling essentially at the deadline. Isn't this exactly what happened a season ago when they had to basically recoup the assets they spent in order to make their championship run in 2022? So last year at the deadline, they get rid of the Logan Morrisons of the world. They move Winterton, Humphrey, all these guys through the season. And then the trade deadline comes along and they became affectionately known in Hamilton as the misfits, right? You've lost all of your veterans. You know, by the way, that you're not staying in the city, so you're kind of half home in Hamilton. And and the team went on a tear, and really they they were in contention to open on home ice in the Eastern Conference last spring for the playoffs, but they tailed off just to the end and didn't end up with that and then ended up getting knocked out. But what a story it was, and they had me believing last season. But it credit to Matt Turk for sure, and you mentioned the coaching staff already with Jay McKee and Andreas Carlson and company. They're just getting tremendous value out of these players. But what a what a debut season in Brantford for a team that, well, the city says it wants to have there. And what a way to endear yourself to a rabid fan base. That's a fun place. It's a small place, but it's a fun place to watch a game. And uh, full marks to the Brantford Bulldogs for what they're doing. First place for now, that's obviously subject to change within a matter of a game or two. But they are right there in the mix and deservedly so for the way they're playing okay we mentioned the oshawa generals and fourth place 48 points listen 
You mentioned it in our text notes this week, Dan. I'll just shift aside here a little bit on the bandwagon because there's lots of room. I called this a week ago. I said these sneaky Oshawa generals were, you know, 11 and three in their past 14. That was a week ago. They've just been continuing that torrid pace over the last essentially quarter season. You know, this team is is running as as about as hot as they come. If not for the London Knights, we'd probably be talking about the Oshawa generals. Oh, absolutely. Uh, sneakily, like you said, right? Had a bit of a disappointing first patch of the season and then just steadily have been laying in the weeds since. And now I think suffice to say they're out of the weeds. They've been steamrolling a lot lately. And even uh, the other night, a 5 nothing win over the Windsor Spitfires on paper. You think, wow, that has another steamroll. Well, no, I think I think watching Fitz that game, it wasn't actually Oshawa's A game. Well, it's far from the best they've played in the last couple of weeks. And that, to me, is the sign of a good team when you can actually have probably your C, B minus game and still hung a, hang a 5 nothing on a team. So you're kind of firing on a lot of cylinders there. And we know Derek Laxdahl demands that work ethic out of the lineup up and down. And the guys that, that are going, they get the ice. And that's why you're seeing a lot of offensive spread on that team. Uh, you're seeing goals out of a lot of different spots in that lineup and and of course they're getting terrific goaltending too so now they've toughened up that decor a bit again that's that's we've said it mike you called it first but uh we've both been saying that for a couple weeks that's not a team i'm sure i'd want to face in the playoffs beckett seneca got the prospect of the week bump i made him my prospect last week i liked the way the consistency was beginning to enter his game and he goes out and has a five point game and has a really nice week for the oshawa generals just one part of what is a pretty well-rounded hockey club right now. I do want to touch on the last team that the Oshawa Generals just beat. You mentioned it, the 5-0 win over the Windsor Spitfires. You suggested something incredibly bold earlier in a game that's a complete and utter blowout and things are getting out of hand. Let's just call it with 10 minutes left in the third period and send the teams home. Less bold on my part. The Windsor Spitfires are going to make the playoffs this year. Dan, when they... When they fired their new head coach, Jared Smith, uh, in November, at the time, the Windsor Spitfires had a record of 4-16-1-0. So they had won four of 21 games. Since that time, under Casey Torres, the interim head coach, they've real they've gone on a 9-9-2-1 rep. So Look, you're essentially a 500 hockey club, but after winning four of 21, you find a way to right the ship like this. And, you know, you hang 11 goals on the Sudbury Wolves. We talked about that last week, et cetera. The Windsor Spitfires are no easy mark. I've joked a couple of times as the guy that broadcasts for the Kitchener Rangers, I'm glad the Rangers got done with the Windsor Spitfires early. The entire season series is already done. But this team looks to me, like it's absolutely trending in the right direction. And the Flint Firebirds, I'm just not sure in that Western Conference. I think the Windsor Spitfires in the last 25 or so games can work their way into a playoff spot the way they're playing. Well, is this a good time to remind you? I actually predicted they come eighth in the conference. So, <laughs> so I might I, I might actually get one right, Mike. Uh, but yeah, you're you're right. Like, so I think I look at that coaching change and, and who really benefited from it and I'm not sure anyone really did more than Anthony Cristoforo, who has had a not a great start. Honestly, was falling a little bit in the draft charts, and but since he's he's really been bringing it, and so I love to see that when those players just get that resurgence, that new life. And uh, there's a lot of talent on that Windsor roster. Uh, we're going to see a couple really high picks uh, in the NHL draft off of that roster. You mentioned the coach uh, starting to instill some of that uh, pride back in that roster. There's plenty to make it there. And I, I think we're all seeing Sarnia staying as a likely, likely candidate to to finish below them. And then, of course, the Flint Firebirds, who you mentioned, and they sold, then bought, then sold. Who, who knows what they were doing at the, at the deadline? But when you look at the standings, uh, trending, going by trend lines, uh, I think the Firebirds might have trouble keeping Windsor in the rear view. So I, I don't disagree with you there. I love the re-addition, too, of Pasquale Zito for the Windsor Spitfires. It'll be fun to watch down the stretch, but they have been playing some good hockey. Okay, uh, there was another Western Conference team that we alluded to last week, and I said I wasn't ready to push the panic button just yet, but I was getting kind of close. Well, the reporter who covers the team did press the panic button 
this past week, but maybe, just maybe, it was premature. Also, another Midwest Division team suffers a big loss on the back end. Our email inbox is blowing up and our prospects of the week still to come on this episode of the OHL podcast. I mentioned last week that I was keeping my hands in my pockets so that I wouldn't reach for the panic button with regard to the Owen Sound attack who went out and added at the trade deadline and then lost four in a row. And I'm thinking, boy, oh boy. And they had the tough Eastern swing coming up and you figure what the heck is going wrong there? Well, their beat reporter, guy I love, writes for the Owen Sound Sun-Times, Greg Cowan, actually did tweet the panic button when the power rankings came out and the Niagara Ice Dogs were ranked higher than the Owen Sound attack. Maybe that was the wake-up call the Bayshore bunch needed, but the Owen Sound attack had themselves a real impressive swing through the East. They did, Mike, and I mean, like, so you know, uh, this is one where I'm probably going to not come out looking too good on my predictions because I had Owen Sound second in the conference. Having said that, there's still plenty of time for them to make a bit of a charge up, and they really added at the deadline. So I really like the composition of that roster. Great weekend, obviously, when you go east and get three. Um, I, I'll still raise a little tiny alarm bell, though, that felt like relying pretty heavily on Carter George and, and Corbin Votary got in the game there, too. Still too many chances being surrendered for my liking for that Owen Sound roster and the way it's built when – you know, they looked to me like they were fortifying the back end and the goaltending to try and win some of those those grind games and let your top line pull you through. And we saw what Col- Colby Barlow did this weekend. So they have the pieces, but I, I can't imagine Darren Rumble's too happy with the the number of chances being surrendered there. And, you know, winning the, the 6-5 uh, game in, in Ottawa as an example, I don't think 6-5 is the score they're looking for. So we'll see how that materializes down the stretch. But uh, positive signs with still a, a trace of alarm there, Mike. They give their coach a heart attack, the former OHL and pro defenseman in Darren Rumble. With, yeah, games like the, they played in Ottawa. But what a an incredible finish for the Owen Sound attack to pick up that 6-5 win. Overtime can be so much fun if we don't play it like a possession game, right? Let's just let the boys out there and freestyle a little. Yeah, well, you talked about my uh, extreme idea before and ending the game, which I was only half serious. I just want to give the refs a mechanism to end the gong show. But talk about a new idea, uh, the possession game. So the NHL is toying with the idea of not letting people or not letting teams bring the puck back uh, over center in overtime or out of the zone. Can't leave the zone. Whatever the rule is, I'm for it because when it becomes just a big possession game, uh, it really limits the chances. So they always say coaches find ways to ruin excitement, right? Cause that's their job. Well, let's, let's maybe toy with an idea that, that affords the attack we like to see in the, in overtime. All right. Let's stay with Owen sound for a moment here. As we go into the inbox, OHL podcast at rogers.com. This one comes from Jared. Hey guys, I'm a Kitchener boy, but I've become an Owen Sound attack fan since moving up this way. Hope you're enjoying life in Gray County, Jared. Uh, I definitely think Owen Sound should have made some more changes before the trade deadline if they were going to make a playoff push. This was the year for them to make that push with a lot of the talent not returning next season. Yeah, I liked the trade, but I really don't think it was enough to get them even close to the front door of an OHL championship. Power play definitely struggling this year, and it shouldn't be with all that firepower. I have to disagree with you, Mike, about the energy from fans at the Bayshore. Home and road wins reflect that. It's rare that the fans are engaged in the game. Used to be a very hard place to play. They need to get that energy back. P.S. I used to work at the Odd in Kitchener, and I would talk to you from time to time. Jared, thanks for talking to us again. And I just want to clarify on when I talk about just loving a Saturday night at the Bayshore. You're right. It's not like it's a rabid fan base that's hanging over the glass, making a ton of noise. I just love it for the community. It feels like the right place to be and the thing to do. So the the passion certainly comes from getting the barn full, but it's not necessarily all that noisy. And it could be with that low ceiling, but point taken in that regard, 
more to the point here, Dan, what Jared's getting at is really interesting when it comes to the trade deadline. I mean, if you're going to be adding, are, are you adding simply so that it's not uh, an easy path for, in this case, maybe the Saginaw spirit in the West? Or are you adding because you're saying, hey, we believe we have a championship shot? I mean, all things being equal, when the dust settled on the trade deadline, it is a long, hard road for the Owen Sound attack, even with the players they added. Yeah, and I think fans don't always look at the full dynamic that GMs have in front of them, right, Mike? So you talk about like looking at things in a vacuum, saying, oh, yeah, on paper, we're good. We should go for it. But then you look at the bigger picture in the league and you say, yeah, but there's two or three teams we really don't have a chance against. So do you sell? What do you do? But I think a lot of these GMs, in cases like Owen Sound this year, feel painted into a corner because of what Jared references, right? They're they're losing a lot of their core next year. So if, if, if you give up on this year, you're also not going to be contending next year and probably even the year after is going to be iffy. So do you wave the white flag or do you go all in? And, you know, when you trade a player like Nico Addy, uh, your first round pick from this year, you, you're kind of going all in, right? So I don't disagree with Jared in saying that maybe they should have added a little more because clearly it wasn't enough. But I can tell you this much, that had to be a really uncomfortable position for GM Dale DeGray to be in because you're looking at it and you're saying, yeah, everything lines up for we really should go for it this year. But there's got to be a whole bunch of seedlings of doubt in your mind when you're looking at Saginaw and London and Sioux and Kitchener and saying, you know, odds are one of those teams we're not getting through. Uh, so are we wasting assets to go for it this year? It's a tough call. You, you pick your poison, I guess. And looks to me like what Jared's saying is that he picked his poison, but only a small dose. So I don't know. I, I can't say I disagree with Jared. I'm not sure they went all in enough once they decided that's the side of the ledger they were going on. Yeah, it's an interesting way to look at it. The one thing I would add is I'm not so sure I am as uh, down as Jared is on the prospects of players returning next year. I think Owen Sound may get players back that they can move to recoup some assets. But the problem with that is then they're still looking years down the road again as they begin sort of a rebuild and that takes away something that i think is underappreciated in the league dan and that is adding to a roster you know fine-tuning it maybe so that you can get into the playoffs and and get some playoff experience maybe you get lucky and you you win around but we know even at this point of the regular season i know the two points are worth the same in the standings but there's something about the games that that battle test you more accelerate your development, et cetera, teach you to play in much higher pressure situations, which only bodes well down the road. So you could make the argument that that's what Dale DeGray was looking to do. Let's see what they can do as they have more pressure packed games down the stretch into the playoffs where Owen Sound will absolutely be. Do they pull off an upset, et cetera? The only thing is, I don't think all the playoff experience they gain this year will be around long enough for the next cycle. For the attack but don't don't underestimate is my ultimate point here the importance of the experience that you gain and the acceleration of a player's development in games that have more pressure attached to them simple as that yeah I, excellent point mike and i would go take a step further and say not just the experience they're going to gain from going through this but the experience they added so when you add a connor smith uh you're doing it for the playoffs right you're not obviously you care about the regular season you want to get in as good a slot as you can but let's not panic about how things go down the stretch because the the job is to get in and that's when those players theoretically step up and I think when we talked about the Brantford Bulldogs earlier and I think we saw it with the Mississauga Steelheads last year when they made some moves at the trade deadline shipped out some veterans continued on pretty well uh, we're surprising a lot of teams down the stretch We're like whoa but the, the issue is they kind of hit a ball in the playoffs because they don't have that veteran experience they don't have those guys that have been through the wars and then they kind of run up against the wall with the teams that do so when i look at the owen sound attack roster for me mike that's that's what would give me hope is they've got some battle tested guys they've got some guys who are likely going to find another gear at that time of year and when you go fully younger that's when it tends to show up is that playoff time here's Bold prediction number three. I'm not sure I'm going to be boldly predicting it, but I'm at least going to throw out the possibility. Uh, so the third bold possibility uh, for this episode of the OHL podcast, Michael Bushinger, the Guelph Storm have announced, is going to miss six to eight weeks uh, requiring surgery for a tendon tear. 
that is a massive loss for the Guelph Storm. Yes, Cam Allen will be back shortly, but to lose Bushinger essentially as Allen is coming back is a really tough blow for the Guelph Storm. As things stand right now, Dan, only six points separates Guelph from Owen Sound in the Western Conference standings and Midwest Division. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that the Owen Sound attack overtake Guelph in the standings. And I'll take that even half a step further as I get bolder in the boldness of this possibility and suggest, could you imagine a 4-5 Kitchener Rangers Owen Sound attack first round playoff matchup? I'm just going to leave that there. It's way too early to start talking about the playoffs. (laughs) Yeah, no, there's a lot of potentially intriguing series is in the Western Conference in the playoffs too, but but I'm with you. Bushinger is just a huge loss for Guelph. They've had a bit of a hard luck year. Like you said, you're finally about to get Cam Allen back and then you lose Bushinger, who's pretty much the engine of that team this year so far. Uh, I know six to eight weeks should be back in time for the playoffs, but tendon injuries like that and surgery, you never know uh, what capacity is going to be at. Um, not going to be able to do a whole lot of work while he's off. So I, I hope I'm wrong. Hope well, Storm managed to troop through this, but it's been a bit of a tough year for them, and which is why you didn't see them go all in at the deadline, I don't think. All right, let's get back to the email inbox for one more. Elam writes to OHL podcast at rogers.com. Hey, guys, so the solution for Mississauga, not having any fans going to their games, is moving the team 10 minutes down the road to an arena that once housed an OHL team, but that team left because they also didn't have any fans going to their games. What am I missing? Love the show, Elam. Elam, thank you for listening to the show. Thanks for the email. Dan, what is Elam missing? No, it's fixed, Elam. They're they're good now. Um, <laughs> they're they're going to sell that place out just on the other side of the 401, and I think all is good. Now, you know, I, think, I, I don't think you're missing anything, Elam. I think this came down to, we talked about it a little bit on last week's podcast, but convenience, if you will. So lowering the overhead costs, maintaining the same geographic area so you're not moving billet families some of the same sponsorships stay all that stuff you still have the gta uh, center of attention for some scouting so there's a lot of things in that geographic area that you can maintain but i think this is purely a move to reduce overhead Uh, we talked about the lease agreement getting them rent free for uh, for a long period so that's all you're missing elam i don't think it's going to change anything in the outlook in terms of attendance Yeah, I'll take you back to the very beginning of this episode with one of the universal truths being that the OHL is just not going to work in the GTA. They can keep trying. They can do whatever they want. It's not going to happen. And and that's a shame, but we've documented that before, too. And also earlier in this episode, I said, you know, follow the money. It's all about money. It's a business, after all. And you just touched on it, Dan. The overhead costs being reduced, so you're not losing as much money. Being able to maintain some sponsors because you're in the same essential geographic area, so you continue to make a little bit of money instead of starting all over in a new market. Uh, I would submit to you, make this the fourth, I don't know how bold this prediction is, but make it the fourth uh, prediction anyway in this episode. I didn't know this was going to be the prediction episode, but here we are. In my lifetime, I don't know about my working lifetime in this league. I don't know how many of those I've got left, but certainly before I shake free of this mortal coil on earth, the Ontario Hockey League will abandon the GTA. We'll just go find markets where it works better. That's my guess. But for now, show me the money and they just want to lose less of it in the GTA. So they'll shift from I want to know what they're going to name the team now. Right from Toronto St. Mike's to Mississauga St. Mike's, the Mississauga Ice Dogs to the Mississauga Steelheads. Like, what the battalion's taken, but they're not going to call them the Brampton Steelheads. Surely, to goodness, that's not going to be the name, is it? Likely not. Although, I guess the Steelhead only have to migrate a few uh, blocks to still be relevant. <laughs> no, we, we actually did have one of our uh, followers on YouTube did suggest that they need to brand like the Leafs and call themselves the Junior Leafs or something. <laughs> Somehow, fix themselves to the Toronto Maple Leaf brand to attract attention. Who knows? Worth a shot. I don't know what that's going to cost them <laughs> to to have that attachment, but I don't know whether I think we're grasping at straws here because I think, I think you're right, Mike, the junior hockey for some reason just doesn't appeal to Canada's Canada's largest urban market. I don't get it. I love you YouTube viewers, just for the record. I'm a, I'm a dyed in the wool radio guy. So in case you can't tell by just staring at, Dan's in my faces for 45 to 60 minutes every week. 
don't have a lot of skill in this department when it comes to the production, but you're there with us and you're commenting and you're following along and damn it, do I love you for that. And if you're listening on the audio version of this podcast, again, that's my bread and butter. Face for radio always has been. And thanks for taking us with you wherever you go. Before we let you go this week, we must get to our prospects of the week. Dansky, who you got? All right, Mike. Well, I'm going to go a little off off the beaten path again this week. And I've got to give a shout out to Kevin He in Niagara and talked a little bit about the reasons why earlier in the podcast, but you got a team there that's, that's playing every night. They're playing hard every night. And he's been kind of an under the radar guy drafted 25th overall to Niagara uh, two years ago. Now he's in his draft year. I guarantee you someone's going to take a shot on this kid because the skill level is extremely high, a really savvy player likes to make electrifying plays with the puck. Uh, got a high confidence level but has really worked on the back check this year coming back hard when you see a kid like that competing every night uh, on a team that's near the bottom of the standings tuning out all the noise drawing a lot of the other teams checking attention despite his age so anyway I, I find running around just under a point a game but if you look at the scores consistently every year assist this game goal this game assist this rarely takes a night off so I got to give a shout out to uh, Kevin Heath this week Mike who you got all right I'm also going uh, way off paper here and you can accuse me and I'll accept of having red and blue glasses on as I share this prospect of the week with you but it's also red and blue glasses or not somebody I get to see night in night out at the rink away from the rink I'm giving my nod this week to Luke Ellenis of the Kitchener Rangers as my prospect of the week you talked about the skill that Kevin he brings and that goes without saying I'm not trying to diminish what Luke Ellenis brings, but it's not the same skill. However, it's the effort that is there. The hands are coming. And the best part about it is when you watch Luke Ellenis, like I'm privileged to do every night in this league when he plays, he's in the right places. It just hasn't translated to the points yet, but he's putting himself in the right places. So he's got the hockey IQ. And I don't know. That's kind of like a scouting term, right? What does it really mean? I mean, to me, it just... It shows me a guy that understands the game, where he needs to be on the ice at the right time, will pay the price in front of the net if that's what's required, etc. Remember, this is essentially his rookie year in the league after battling through injury last year. And in a weekend that dominated our conversation early in this podcast, that was a complete and utter write-off for the Kitchener Rangers, Luke Ellenis never quit for 120 minutes of pretty devastating hockey for the Kitchener Rangers. This young man was still out there giving it his all until the final buzzer. So I think, I I believe sincerely that not in the top three rounds, but somewhere later in this June's draft, you're going to hear Luke Ellenis's name called. And I think a team that does that, makes that pick, is going to be getting a pretty fine hockey player. Yeah, it's a great choice, Mike. And we look at him as a bit of a spare part for the ninth place Barry Colts at the start of the year, right? So Kitchener acquires him as an extra piece. And has just steadily worked his way up that lineup, has played in the top six when needed, has played in the bottom six when needed, kills penalties, physical, plays a pro-style game, right? And you're not the only one that's taken note, Mike, because you look at a guy that wasn't even on the central scouting radar, has now got a rank, that rank keeps nudging up. That tells you that NHL scouts are taking note of this kid's game, and I'm with you. I think he's getting drafted for sure, because uh, he brings it, he shows up every night, and that's what you're looking for with the the pro game is consistency. And the game's only increase in pressure and uh, meaning from here. So we'll see how he continues to fit in to that Rangers lineup as the push for the playoff uh, continues. Okay, let's hope, Dan, let's hope that next week, really, we can just talk about hockey and the league and the skill and the excitement. Because this one, it was a tough one. I think we found that we're still in a bit of an interesting place in this Ontario Hockey League. But The London Knights have absolutely served notice. 14 straight wins. Will we be still talking next week about this winning streak continuing? Who knows? This wasn't supposed to be one of the all-time London Knights teams, but it's turning into it, isn't it? (laughs) It's not easy to win 14 games in a row in this or any other league. Just ask the Edmonton Oilers. How much fun has that been, by the way, huh? Holy cow. All skill, speed, that's why we watch these games, right, Mike? So to your original point, that's we want to see these players playing the game. I don't want to see them out with injury. I don't want to see them out with suspension. So yeah, with you on that one. Dan Mahar is that guy right over there. Find him on Twitter, X at uh, Dan Mahar, his name. I'm Mike Farwell on Twitter, X at Farwell underscore OHL. 
Loved all the emails. Thank you. Keep them coming. OHL podcast at rogers.com. Follow us on YouTube. Get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You already did. Tell a friend, like, subscribe, and thanks very much for joining us on another episode of the OHL podcast. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamscore.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.